You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Richard Lupoff. His most recent series of books is Terrors, Visions, and Dreams. Thank you for joining me, Dick. Well, a pleasure to be here. Great to see you again, Rick. Now, Dick, the story you read today is actually the third, also the third in the series, and I'd like you to just talk about this. One of the things I I thought about that story was that you managed to have a lot of fun. It's lighthearted. It's witty. It just goes down like a smooth drink. It feels effervescent. But there's a lot of really serious kind of thought behind it. Well, well, (laughs) now you're being a critic. Um, You know, I, I was thinking today about what goes into short stories or into any work of fiction. And, and, in a short story, it's really hard to get as many elements as you really need to to create what I consider a really good short story, which is you have to have real characters and some emotional content. It's not just things happening. But things do have to happen, and you have to create a world for them to happen in. Uh, it's hard to do this in the concision of a short story, but if you're lucky, you try and put your elements together and they do come out right, and otherwise you get a rejection slip. Now, uh, one of the things I think that's interesting about the, the the Castleman stories, we'll call them, is how much they rely on story itself and our perception of story, uh, because it's about um, our brain is split into two parts. There's one part of us that just observes, essentially, and the other part that puts together the best story that it can make out of what the first half gives it. And I think that what's interesting is that your stories play with that concept of who we are and how we put together our lives in a coherent story. Uh, you're reading my mind. Now, in, in fact, I've been thinking lately about why stories are universally beloved across all eras and across all cultures. And I really think the reason is this. It's the ability to create stories that gives us human intelligence. Without that ability, we would be like animals, very bright animals maybe, beloved dogs or cats or horses. But to an animal, each event is a discrete happening. Humans alone, at least as far as we know, maybe whales can do it, I, I don't know. But I think only humans can take various events and establish meaningful relationships among them, see patterns, and create stories out of them. This is why children love stories and why stories are so important to children. They learn how to think and they learn how to be human beings. Without stories, we would be very bright animals, but we would not be human. I, I, that's exactly something that I've been thinking about as I've been talking with some neuroscientists, that humans are a, nar- narr- we're a narrative species, and we define ourselves by the story. If I asked you, who are you, Dick Lupoff, you're not going to give me a series of events. You're going to tell me a story. Exactly, exactly. The, uh, Joe Gores used to say, the late Joe Gores, a dear, dear friend of mine, he quoted a professor of his from years before. The difference between a story and a plot from the viewpoint of a fiction writer. Here's a story. 
The king died, and then the queen died. Here's a plot. The king died, and then the queen died of grief. Those two words establish the emotional connection and in a sense even the causal relationship between the two events, the king's death and the queen's death. That, the ability to see that, the ability to add those two words of grief are what make us human beings. You know, and, and that's one of the things I think that makes these uh, these Castleman stories so appealing is you play with that in a way that's playful and fun. I mean, these stories are really entertaining. They're funny. The characters are charming. They're kind of romantic and they're goofy. But also, they're really thought-provoking. And to manage that to work on those two very, very different levels at once. And also, I think there's a third level they work on just on a gut level. You just go, oh, my God. Uh, You're just kind of, you know, you're thinking, boy, that's kind of the way sometimes my life feels like, you know, maybe I'm out of order. Well, aren't we all? (laughs) Look at the world, for heaven's sake. Um, Well, again, this what we're talking about, the ability to see relationships and patterns uh, is the only thing that lets us understand the world. Now, you know, one of the things I think you made an interesting decision tonight was to have your story performed. And I think that that may, I mean, I, I, I've heard you read, and you're a great reader, make no mistake about it, but I think having that kind of uh, story, the delivery, that kind of delivery uh, by, by your actors, I think that made a, a difference that I think, A, it gave you a distance, and they had a distance, and I think that that kind of, that little bit of distance, and, and also the gusto, because they were great performers that they put into it, um, I think that really added to the, to the theme of the story. I think it did. When I gave them the story, I actually showed them two or three stories and said, pick one. And they chose this one. Um, Laurie and Greg both have professional credentials uh, on the stage. They both have day jobs. Uh, earning, a, earning a living as an actor is even harder than earning a living as a novelist. And believe me, that's not easy. But they're both really, really good. And uh, I, was, I avoided their rehearsals and their practice sessions. They said, do you want to sit in with us? give us direction or anything. I said, no, I want it to be absolutely fresh. I'm going to sit in the audience with John Doe and Jane, Jane Rowe and hear it with a fresh ear. And they just, they sent chills through me several times. I, I, me too. Now, uh, what are you working on now? You're a busy guy. I mean, you do so much. And uh, this is something we'll touch on a bit later is that, you know, your stuff has the feeling of very mainstream literature. It's very approachable. I, I, when I heard that story, I don't think, well, here's another genre story. I, I think, feel like, you know, this is something that could just be on for every man. But if you use the genre in a way that makes it really fun. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> Would a one-word answer suffice? Yes. Um, you know, again, I've been in this racket for a very long time. I mean, we're coming up on, it's a chilling thought, uh, on the 50th anniversary of the publication of my first book, which was, which was nonfiction, but it's still around. And I, 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 as a kid, I was a science fiction fan. And so when I started writing fiction, I started writing science fiction. But... I, I never quite fit in. I mean, I loved the, the classic, you know, Edmund Hamilton and Doc Smith space operas and the Heinlein stories and Ray Bradbury, all of the standard icons of science fiction. But 
I don't think I do quite what they did. Uh, and I've written mysteries, and I've even written one or two minor Western short stories, but not conventional Westerns either. And, and I've written some mainstream fiction. And I, I, don't, I don't reject the title science fiction writer in the sense that I regard it as, a, as at all an insult. But it's like saying, oh, there's that guy, he, he's a right-handed person. Okay, well, I am, but so what? You know, that does not define me, right? I'm a right-handed person, but I'm also six feet tall, and I'm also very old, and this, that, and the other. Uh, a whole person is an infinite number of descriptors. There's no, if you just start trying to describe a person and you're totally thorough about it, you will never finish. Every human being is an infinity is an infinity in one person. And as a writer, yes, I'm a science fiction writer, but I'm also a horror writer and a fantasy writer and a mystery writer and a Western writer and a mainstream writer and a critic of sorts after a fashion and even an amateur historian of very, very minor attainments. I'm all of these things. And and when you say, well, you sort of you write science fiction, but it doesn't come across like regular genre science fiction, I think that's why. I don't I, I don't reject that identity, but I I would not want to be limited by it. Tell us what's next. What's the very next thing we can expect to see from you? Uh, a police procedural set in Brooklyn in 1938 called Rookie Blues. I'm looking forward to it. I've been speaking with Dick Lupoff. His next book is Rookie Blues. Thank you for joining me, Dick. My pleasure. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Thank you.